Hey, good morning, everybody. All right. Good to see all you early risers getting ready to go to bed early. Something's ringing here. So, uh, getting ready to go to bed early tonight, too, right? How many of y'all are going to stay up past midnight? Yes, party ant people. Yeah. All right. All you party people. <clears throat> yeah. I used to make fun of my former boss. I'd just tease him all the time about going to bed at 9 o'clock. Now I go to bed at 9 o'clock all the time. <laughs> can you see if you can get that ring out? Oh, I got gotcha. you. It's not me. Um, okay, listen. Uh, I want to share with you real briefly right now about where we are with our fundraising campaign, this winter thing that, that we're doing to, to uh, pledge and give towards the total remodeling of this, new build, of this building and expansion and all that. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with that. But our goal is to raise $2 million, um, which is a God-sized task. And we are halfway through the, that. We have one month to go of a two-month. Well, no, wait. No, stop. Hold on. I'm only talking about time. Halfway in time. Out of the $2 million, though, we're a little over $1.8 million as of this morning. <laughs> Unbelievable. God just keeps just... I mean, just showing up, it's just amazing. So, uh, you know, uh, y'all come on in, come on in. Uh, so I wanted to let you know, so January 31st is the due date, if you will, for the pledge cards, and, and so that's when we want to have an idea of where we really are. Uh, we're planning to start building in, uh, in April. Our last Sunday, I think, is April 8th. So Emma, in fact, you saw her do the announcements this morning. She and her fiancé will get married on the 7th. And uh, that'll be the last big event here. Uh, and then on the 8th, we're going to have a move-out day. So if you happen to be in town, we're going to, like, wear our car hearts to work. I mean, to, to church. Let's work for me. <laughs> and, uh, and then unload this place. So that's going to be a fun, a fun day. So anyway, pretty exciting. Less than, uh, less than a couple hundred thousand to go out of the two million. So, uh, and... We're, we're just honored and humbled and just really amazing. So we've been in a series where we're looking at the names of Jesus. In his, his common name we talked about last week for 10 minutes at our, our Christmas Eve services, uh, Jesus. It, was, it means Joshua. It's a short abbreviation of the word Joshua, which means God will deliver. He'll bring us from uh, insecurity to security, from distress to peace. That's the name Jesus, that's what that means. Uh, today we're going to look at another word, a name given to him, but it's, it's more of a description than a name that would be used for him. So I'm going to tell you what that is in, in just a moment. Uh, but I will say this. The, this, this, uh, this name and this description of Jesus is utterly foundational to us in terms of doctrine. And wherever you are when your faith and your walk and your understanding of who Jesus is and of, of the scripture, doctrine sometimes is something that sounds really churchy and kind of over there and for the people who want to go deep. But what this is, is something, is a doctrine that is foundational. It's like the pillar 
It's the structure that holds it all. It's so critical to understand. I can't emphasize that enough as we jump in. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you're thinking about this and you're going to interact with this title, this name, then I want to encourage you to really do that. We're only going to scratch the surface. And if you're someone who's exploring what it is that this means or struggling with your faith or understanding Christianity, then this is a great place to understand one of the pillars, one of the most important doctrines, core beliefs that we have as Christians. And it's, it's throughout the scripture. Uh, the, the name is Emmanuel. It's a pretty name. It sounds poetic. Uh, there is much more there than you can see on the surface. And we're, like I said, we're just going to barely touch on it. But I want you to look at Isaiah 7.14 with me. Isaiah 7.14. And you guys will remember this passage. It's a, definitely a Christmas passage. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Isaiah says. This is 700 years or so before the birth of Jesus. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Two things about that. One is there's a sign and that is that a virgin will have a child. So this is the pointer. This is the, the thing, wake up call. When this happens, this part of the story is very important. Look at this. Note, this is when this person is coming. This is who it is. However, the second part uh, is not just a sign, but like I said, this incredibly important pillar of description of who it is that is going to be born. Emmanuel. The, the name Emmanuel, the title Emmanuel, means God with us. Okay? So, Emmanuel, he will be called God with us. And another word, for those of you who are, and you guys are such early risers to be here. Most of you probably have Christian background, so you're like here early and want to get into this. Um, so that's great. Uh, the word is incarnation. This is not a word I'm going to go down the street and say, hey, check out the incarnation. You know, people are going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. That's super churchy. I think I heard that, you know, back in parochial school or something. But the incarnation is critical. It means God with us, God in the flesh. And it is the word Emmanuel. So all of those pieces are together in this, this word Emmanuel. So the main thing that I want to bring up today, the main thing I want to ask you to think about is this. Why is that name, God with us, so important? Why does it matter so much? And again, we're just going to, we're going to look at the outside of this, but I think uh, all of us can dig in a little bit more deeply. Uh, it is incredibly important to us understanding who he is and also what it means that he is that in our lives. Uh, I listened to a Keller message on this and studied a little bit uh, of the things that he was studying in relation to this. And he gave a, he gave a great illustration, I thought. He said, imagine if someone gave you a, a book. They said, this is an incredibly important book. And you read the book and you, and you saw that there was a lot of truth in the book and you you were studying it and you, and you read all the chapters and you read it again and you're like, something is missing. I, I know there's great truth here, but I can't understand the main thing. I don't see what the main point, there's something missing to this whole, he said, the missing chapter, the chapter that you need is this one, that God is with us in flesh. This is that pivotal doctrine that with it, everything else makes sense. And I mean that 
in, on it, many aspects, but in terms of what God is doing, God in the flesh, God with us, is critical to us understanding who he is and what he is doing. It also makes our lives make sense. So on those two levels, at least, it matters. That missing chapter makes all of it make sense. So uh, if you go up, we're going to flip to the New Testament now and look at John 1, another you know, Christmas passage. John 1, 14. And this is where the reality of what Isaiah spoke of comes to pass in the New Testament, in the, in the closer history to us. John 1, 14. And the word became flesh, Emmanuel, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, why is it so important? Why is that name, Emmanuel, so critical to us? Be trying to process that as we go through. And three reasons that I want to share with you from this passage and a couple of other ones. Uh, One is, it, it is important because it is only through him, through God in the flesh, that we can be redeemed. So it, the, the primary piece is that he had to come in flesh for us to be redeemed. Second, so that we could see him. He came so that we could see him. And third, so that we could have relationship with him. So number one, only God in the flesh could redeem us. Secondly, Uh, this way in the flesh, we could see him and then we could have relationship with him. So these are the three things that I'm going to point out. And there is certainly much more. So with God in the flesh, this is the only way we can be redeemed. See, y'all, we broke relationship with God from an early point in the story, right? Uh, God said, trust me. And we said, no. We want to be kings, we want to be in charge, we want to control. This is our heritage, and we inherited this from our forefathers, right? And that decision not to trust was catastrophic. And we see it, it's not just, you know, we think things are bad now. They have been bad for a long, 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 long time, okay? Things are tough, and people are broken. And we're broken because of the catastrophic decision to make ourselves king and break relationship with God. And it wasn't just those that were our forefathers that made that decision. Each one of us is imminently capable and regularly practicing making ourselves king. We always do that. We've done it from the beginning. As soon as you're born, you're started. You started. We're guilty on multiple levels. We, we are implicated in that catastrophic thing personally and corporately. But... God established a plan to redeem us. God established at that time, if not before, a plan to redeem us. Uh, And the key was the person who was sent to do it. See, he's the only one who could redeem us. So look a little further in Isaiah. We're going to flip back there, but just we've gone from chapter 7 to chapter 9. Another important verse that you often hear uh, at Christmas time. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Okay, just, you know, think about the things that are being said in this little short number of words. A child is born, a son is given, 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called. So these are more titles given to Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now that is a lot to think about. And did you notice the contrast? A child is born. A child is given. A son is given. A child. A helpless child. I mean, I'm looking at at Maggie. Not Maggie. Sadie. Pretty helpless, okay? A child is born. And then you read these descriptive words about him. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. This is important to understanding. Uh, these, are, these are not proper names. They're titles, right? But think about it. You can't go any higher than what these titles describe. Everlasting Father, Mighty God. You cannot get higher than this. You cannot get lower than the child, than Jesus born in poverty. Right? This, uh, these descriptive words are not the job description, right? The, he was the redeemer. That's the job description. These are the who it is that has to fill the job because he's the only one who can do it. Does that make sense? Only Jesus, only the son of God, only the most high can take our place corporately and personally. It had to be him who was sent. Uh, and I, just a little side note here on that idea of, of the job description and the person. So uh, some of y'all know we've just had the privilege of taking Tyler. Where is Tyler? Is he still in here? I may have stepped it. No, that Tyler, Tyler Hansen on staff. Those of you who don't know, he's the guy who's right here. Um, we're a pretty funny couple at work because he's about this tall. I'm about this tall. And so uh, it's, we look funny together. But... Um, there are 18 people who lead different aspects of ministry here from our interns all the way through uh, people who are paid. And there are certain things about our staff people that are necessary. And I want to describe them to you because I think they're really important for you to understand as you're walking through life with us. One is a deep commitment to Jesus Christ and following him. <clears throat> but these other character are personal things that are so critical uh, one is that, that our staff has to be humble. They have to always desire to put others first. Always, always. Never, never about being in the limelight. Another word is hungry. In other words, we're after the best things for this church at all times. We're always looking to improve. We're always looking to see how we can serve the best possible way, however that looks. Humble, hungry. And the last word is, that I use is smart. And what I mean by that is relationally smart. We have people who can interact with all kinds of people, Anybody on the mountain, to anybody from any state or country that comes into this room. By the way, there's all kinds in in here. We may all be pretty light-skinned, except for Greg, whoever Greg is. He's like our one. Come on, Greg. Yes. (laughs) You got a lot of, we need you to spread out in here. But um, our leadership people have to be humble, hungry, and smart, and deep, committed followers of Jesus. Okay, that's who we are. This... This thing that Jesus does as our Redeemer requires him to be a certain person. Not anyone could be our Redeemer, 
But these prerequisites of who he is are a part of this. And, and Isaiah lays out some of those. Uh, you know, in the early church, right after uh, Jesus is gone, and it's just getting kicked off, uh, Peter and John heal this guy and end up in, uh, in a court situation, right? And so they're forced in front of all these people. It says they put him in the middle of all the people, of these judges, and they say, tell us what's going on. And this is in Acts 4, 10. This is pretty amazing, especially in light of the names of Jesus that we're looking at. Number 10, uh, verse 10. Let it be known, Peter says, to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man, the one that they healed, is standing before you healthy and well. Okay, get this. This Jesus is the same is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the one who delivers. Do you see how critical this is to understanding what it is that we believe and who we follow? So, why is it so important, Emmanuel? The first thing I want to share with you is because we can only be redeemed through Emmanuel, through God with us. So why? uh, I've lost my spot in my notes there it is. I apologize. So, why Emmanuel? So that we could see him. All right, look at this in John 1.14. We're going to read this again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here it is. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. See, Moses asked to see God. Do you remember that from the Old Testament? Moses said, I got to want to see you. And God said, you know what? No can do because I need you. And if you see me, you're going to die, right? So the, the presence of God, the, the actual visual sighting of God is too much for human beings to manage. But still, it's important. And some, somehow, we, the, the Israelite people have been calling to see Jesus, Right? And it had been said he, um, to see the, the Son of God. And here it is coming about in reality. And I, I think it's interesting. He says, and we have seen his glory. And he's talking about Jesus, right? John is talking about Jesus. He says, we've seen his glory. Well, think about this for a second. Did, Jesus wasn't all that glorious. He was pretty plain. His name was totally plain, right? So how is it that we saw his glory He was a refugee. He was born in poverty. He was a son of a tradesman, right? He wasn't uh, a king as we would typically see. There wasn't glory around him. So what does he mean? Well, I think John, you know, John's always about that relationship with Jesus. He's always talking about relationship and being close to Jesus. And I think it's, uh, it's, it may be, that it's not so much that he wasn't glorious, it may be more, y'all, that we are not looking to see the glory. I may, I may have uh, told you before, but when I met Claire, 
she was going to the University of Texas in art, as an art history major. So what interest did I suddenly take up? Art history, right? Obviously, I'm not dumb. Okay, so it turns out I really enjoy art history. I really loved it. I, you know, who would have thought? So I, I study and I, I'm going along and I'm learning from her and, and, and learn. Just it was fascinating. I still love that. And so when I go to a, a big museum and I see a work of art that is one of those pivotal historical works of art, there's something extra in that for me. And I love to hear either, the, you know, listening on to the tape thing or if there's a, if there's a, a tour guide there talking about the piece, I'm, I'm like totally caught up in that, hearing about how it was done, why it was done, who did it, all the history of the person who made that thing. But if I didn't have an appreciation for that art, for something like that, I might have just walked on by and had no idea, right? And I think because of the incredible amount of distraction that we love to place into our lives, we have figured out how to just walk right on by. In fact, if you're a believer, I think this is typically what I do with you. Oh, Jesus, you know, that's part of my life, my, you know, and I've got this painting, if, if you will, on my wall. I know a whole lot about it, but I'm like, you know what? I got so many other things. I'm just going to set this one down here, right? I'm going to it's gonna, or I'm, you know, it kind of moves to, I got all these beautiful things I'm so involved with and they're so important and so full of, you know, things that God wants me to do. And then pretty soon that thing's collecting dust and pretty soon somebody gets it and moves it into the closet, right? And then things get piled in front, if you will. And pretty soon I am not going back to look at what is the glory of Jesus and remembering the story, the transformative power of who Jesus Christ is and why it is so important that he came and, and was real and the whole picture behind it, not just what I see right there. I think we may, may be overlooking his glory. I want to I just share two other little thoughts for those of you who want to think a little more about this in relation to this, uh, this need to see him. One is this. If we see him, he's not an abstraction. He's not something that was made up. Okay, so he became real and thus he is not an abstraction. He's not just something someone decided to, to create out of thin air. And faith is a hard thing, but it's easier when you know it's based in, the rea- in reality. 1 Peter 1.8, this is, this is so cool. He says to these people who are struggling, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do you remember what John said? He said, we've seen his glory, glory of, as of the only son, full of grace and truth. And Peter picks up on that. When we really look at him, if he was here presently, or if we look at him in, in history and understand who he is, there is grace and truth and glory and joy in that. And here's the other thing. His glory is our greatest satisfaction. This is another one of those deeper truths. We think that our greatest satisfaction is our comfort, our success, our things, what we've got in our pocket, how we're, you know, who our people are, what our relationships are. That is not true. Our greatest satisfaction is His glory. So when we have our eyes focused on him and his glory and we are about who he is and what he is about, and that is his glory, then that is the place we are most satisfied. So 
it is important to see him, to see his glory. It's important that he came in the flesh so that he could redeem us. And finally, why Emmanuel? Uh, For relationship. And I want to give you three brief reasons and ideas behind that. First, uh, if you noticed, Isaiah said Jesus or the Messiah would be God with us. And then a couple of chapters later, he says that that person is going to be an eternal father. God with us, an eternal father. Now to that, to me, that seems to mean some kind of significant relationship. And when I was thinking about it, it reminded me of what Jesus says in Matthew 28 to his disciples when he's leaving. He says, you know what? I'm not going to be with you anymore, physically present. But when I leave, I will be with you always. You remember that? I will be with you always. That word with comes all the way back from Isaiah, all the way through. God with us. And then all the way up into into this point, into our modern life. I will be with you always in relationship. And that relationship is deep, that everlasting father idea. And I, I love the way the word John uses. He says, and he became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelt among, and so that word is, and those many of you know this, but that word is set up a tent, right? Now, there's two big aspects to this. One is that he set up a tent, God set up a tent with Moses, with the Israelite people, so that they could have his presence near them, right? Those of you who remember that uh, can, can picture that thing. But not only did he do that, now he set up his tent, and as it says in the message, he came and moved into the neighborhood, right? So there's this very... Uh, in the Israelite person's mind, there's this big picture of the tent that was established for God's presence. But now it's very much a personal tent like we can imagine in the woods or with us. If we're all camping together, there's the tent that is the one that is Jesus with us on the ground. Probably uh, one of the reasons that I, I have a little bit of fear of trying new things sometimes is that all of the things that I have learned the best things that I've learned, have I've learned them because something went wrong. So whenever I try something new, I'm like, oh God, you know, this is probably going to explode. But if it explodes, I'll really learn something, but then it's going to be terrible in, in between until I can tell a story about it in 15 years. <laughs> right now. So well, this one wasn't that bad, but uh, another hiking trip. I'm with a group. It's after dark when we're finding our campsite. We come into this place. I had mapped it out or, and discovered it on the topo map. It's kind of flat. I see it, you know, at night we figure out where it is and we, we set up our tents. I'm like, man, this is a great spot. Go, Scott, good, you know, good choice. Ground's really soft. You know, the stakes for the tents just super comfy, you know, no roots, no rocks or anything. Some of you know what's going to happen here. And it turns out that when we got, so we're super tired, we're just, we're all cash out. And uh, fortunately, no one slept outside, which was, we typically would do. Uh, it turned out that we camped on a corral. And so it had horse poop and cow poop just this deep. All, it was huge. It, I had never seen anything, you know, you've run across those before. Fortunately, it was mostly uh, old. And though it was damp, was, you know, we set up camp in poo. <laughs> of course, those, those people on that trip have never let me forget that that happened. But 
what that reminds me of is there is no length that Jesus would not go to to pursue us. I mean, he came in, he gave up all of his uh, authority and formed himself as a helpless child to be fragile and then to be rejected by the people camping in the poo. Rejected to the point of being put to death. But he's, he still pursued us. So that's, that's one of those things. Uh, he, he dwelt with us. He set up his tent with us. He wants relationship with us like a father. And the last thing is that he can empathize with us and we can understand him because he became flesh. And this is something that comes up in the letters that the, the writers of the, of the Bible explain to us over and over. Um, because he was a man, he can understand. He can understand us, we can understand him. Uh, before I lost my mom last year, it was really hard for me to, to get what people felt when they had lost a parent. But now that I have, I'm like, oh, man, that's really hard. That changes your life. It turns you upside down. Now I have empathy. I love the way the writer of Hebrews says it in uh, Hebrews 2, 17. This is, I got this one from the message. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest, to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it in himself, all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. It was essential for him to come as Emmanuel, God with us, in order for him to relate to us, for us to relate to him, for him to have relationship with us. Well, let me close with, uh, with this thought around the importance of this idea of, of Emmanuel and why he came to be with us. That, that concept of relationship is absolutely critical. If in my relationship with my wife, it was totally perfunctory, all I did was follow the rules, do everything I could not to make her mad. I lived in a sense of guilt. I only did what I had to do. Our relationship would be fairly dry, right? And... Too many of us, our relationship with God is like that. It's dry. It's just what we do. We do it out of guilt. There is so much more there. He came to be with us, to have relationship, a real relationship, not one based on fear or obligation. And he put himself out there and pursued us in that. He came for us. All of this is included in the name Emmanuel. So what I, I want to do is I'm going to pray, but I just want to ask you to, if the word Emmanuel, the title, the name, hasn't resonated with you before, think about what it really means and how powerful it is as a pillar of what we believe. God, we, we come to you this morning. We look forward to a beautiful day. Uh, we, we have gathered as people who want to know more about who you are. And God, the word Emmanuel is surprisingly deep. And God, I, it's, it's uh, humbling to even talk about it. Uh, but it, it, seems so, uh, it seems so simple and poetic, but it's so deep and so powerful. So Lord, let it resonate with us. Thank you for pursuing us all the way to the ground. 
um, and never giving up. Uh, Lord, I thank you that it had to be this way. And though we made ourselves kings, you have come as the king to redeem us and put us back in relationship with your father. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right, y'all have a great afternoon, the rest of the morning.